friends, welcome to Thursday. It's June 8th. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Enough for Today. I hope you are enjoying June. It's hard to believe we're a week into June and uh, enjoying the summer, and I hope you're doing well. We are in Psalm 79, and this psalm is a psalm of grief as, as Jerusalem has been destroyed, the Babylonian invasion. We talked all about the history of that. It won't take you back through that. But there's so much nationalistic history here embedded in these, this, this string of psalms that we're in. This is like Israel's songbook of their history, teaching their children. And this psalmist is recounting the devastation of the nation, but he's still a follower, a devoted worshiper of God. So it's an interesting contrast that applies to our lives as we understand how to follow God in a day when our nation, by and large, is choosing uh, the road of apostasy, the road of paganism, rejecting God, rebelling against God, defying God. And uh, what are we to do as God's people? How do we, how do we remain loyal and loving and light? Uh, how do we keep our eyes on the Lord? How do we cry out to him in grief and sorrow, but also uh, in hope and with hope? So <clears throat> the psalmist, we saw this yesterday, uh, verse six, pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, remember not against us our former iniquities. Let thy tender mercy speedily prevent or precede us. For we are brought very low. We are thinned out. We are dramatically weakened. We are, uh, we, we, we are devastated. And then I'm going to hold on before I go to verse 9. And I want to talk about this from a, uh, from a narrative viewpoint and from a from a prophetic viewpoint, from the 30,000-foot view of human history, what we're reading here is pretty profound because when you marry this with the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others of that, contemporaries of this event, preceding and coming into the Babylonian invasion, what you'll read is God warning the people, and they could have pre, they put, could have avoided all these circumstances if they had repented, but they chose not to repent. They were steeped in their paganism and their idolatry, uh, which was on, off, on, off, on, off, all the way back to the golden calf, okay? So this is a long trajectory of God's faithfulness and the people's defiance and rebellion. Finally, God shuts down the nation, intending for them to live in peace under the Babylonian rule, but they would not have that either. So then it becomes a total devastation. The city is raised and it's leveled and the people are slaughtered. And uh, the remnant of the exiles like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Ezekiel and others are taken to Babylon, where God said through Jeremiah, I'm going to be with you there, plant gardens, uh, grow, build a home, uh, grow a family, I'm going to be with you, and then after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. So what, what we see in this, from this wide view of history and what this psalm should most essentially and first say to us, before we go personal, before we bring it forward in the 21st century, before we apply it to our, to our lives today, we need to understand what's happening here. An individual in ancient Israel is grieving the moment of total devastation. But in the shadow of this moment, God has promised, number one, that he's going to deal with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, that they will be judged for what they did to God's people. Even though he permitted it in terms of chastening his judgment, what they did was also a rejection of God, even more so. 
these pagan nations, these godless nations that, that, that had forsaken him for many generations. Um, I don't want to get sidetracked, but it's an amazing history how God pursued other nations through the nation of Israel. So, for instance, Jonah was sent from Israel to Nineveh, where he preached grace and mercy a full generation before Nineveh, the Assyrians, invaded the northern kingdom, which had also rejected God. So all this bloodshed and warfare of these ancient peoples, as it is today, is a result of nations that have rejected God and forsaken him, and they're condemned then to uh, being the expressions of judgment and wrath on each other in the wake of rejecting the God of all creation. So in very big picture, when we reject our creator, we condemn ourselves to self-destruction. That's, that's the big takeaway, that God is a savior and a redeemer, and man and Satan in his, and, and creation in its fallen state is in a self-destructive trajectory. That's, that's the, the message of history. But God has promised to take it, to, to level the city, to take the exiles into captive, to be with them in Babylon, to bring them back, to deal with the Babylonians and the Assyrians in, in strong judgment. And then 70 years, he's going to restore. He's going to bring back the people and reconstitute their nation, their city of Jerusalem, and their system of worship. Um, now, this is going to happen again. And Moses, going all the way back to Moses, God's prophesied that he's going to scatter the people, not just to Babylon, but to all the nations, all around the globe, that the Jews would be scattered. And they were for thousands of years. With the Roman invasion of Jerusalem, during the life of Jesus, Roman tyranny, but then in 70 AD, the Romans squelched finally and ultimately the Jews and their uh, revolt, and they expelled them from Jerusalem. And from that point, 70 AD, you can track it for 2,000 years, a very small handful of Jewish people remain in, in Israel as we know it, and they're scattered by the thou- hundreds of thousands and millions all over the globe until the mid, well, it really began about the mid to late 1800s, and then it took a new surge in the early 1900s, and then the mid-1900s, you have the reconstitution of Israel as a state. And you have the people of God being brought back to their homeland. Now, this is fascinating, and it has, we haven't even read yet today, but you've got to stay with me because this is profound. For hundreds and hundreds, really thousands of years, God has promised that Jerusalem and the Holy Land, that the desert that it was, would blossom again like a rose, that it would be fruitful, that its barrenness would give way to, a, to become a fruitful vine, a fruitful vineyard, a fruitful tree, and that children would play in the streets of Jerusalem. Okay, now, the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is the new Jerusalem. But here's what's amazing, is that what has history done to Babylon? What has history done to Nineveh? What has history done to the Babylonians, to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians? These cities lie in ruins. These invaders, these conquerors, and all the cities that God pronounced judgment on are ruin heaps today. You can go to the ruins of Nineveh. You can go to the ruins of Babylon. But you can't go to the ruins 
in the same sense of Jerusalem because Jerusalem is a thriving, happy city. Now, I know we read of tensions and all that, but I've been there six times in recent years, and I can tell you firsthand, I can testify to you, children play in the streets. I'll never forget this site as long as I live. It was the end of Sabbath. Sabbath comes to an end at sunset on Saturday. So it begins at sunset on Friday and goes into Saturday. So at sunset, Sabbath is over. And I remember being in the center of the city of Jerusalem as, as Sabbath ended. We were downtown at uh, what's called Ben Yehuda, which is a shopping district. There's hotels, there's restaurants, there's ice cream stands, there's street performances. There's a light rail that goes right through uh, the street. There's one street that's shut down. And the only thing that happens here is police traffic and a light rail that comes through. And when in between the trains coming through and in between the police traffic, just, you know, uh, there, there were literally children, college students, teenagers playing soccer, throwing footballs in the streets. Uh, there were children playing guitar and piano and and uh, cajon and other things in, in live performances. There were choirs singing. Uh, like at the end of Sabbath, the entire city comes alive. All the shops open up, the ice cream in the coffee shops and the restaurant, and everybody comes out and they, it's like they've enjoyed this time of rest and now they're gonna celebrate and enjoy um, the culture. I've just never seen anything quite like it. It's one of the happiest places that I've ever been. And uh, I love Jerusalem for that fact. But I'm standing there in this moment and I begin to weep because I realize I'm standing in an impossible thing. 150 years ago, a little more than that, Mark Twain said this land is a desert. There's not a blade of grass. It's totally barren, which is exactly what Moses prophesied thousands of years ago that would be said about the land. And today you go to this land and it is teeming with life. It is blossoming. They are building the city on the heaps of the ruins. They have rebuilt. I've got a picture that I took a few months ago of the ruins of Beersheba, ancient Beersheba, and new Beersheba is in the distance. I used it in a message not long ago, but it is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. So what does this have to do with this psalm? This is so exciting. Because from our vantage point, we can see the whole narrative arc that God made these promises, that God fulfilled these promises, that he judged these enemies, that he answered this prayer. Why is this psalm recorded for us? It's not just so that we can take away some modern application and pray God's vengeance upon our enemies. That's a secondary reason. The primary reason this psalm is in Scripture is so that you and I can look at this and go, oh my, God answered this prayer. God fulfilled these promises. God brought these people back from Babylon. God restored their nation. He has done exactly what he said he would do. And there is no human reason. There's no logic behind the reason that Jerusalem exists today. It should be a ruined heap like Babylon. It should be a ruined heap like Nineveh. But it is teeming and thriving, and it is, it's the center of the attention of the entire globe. Uh, it, this is the most contested city in the most contested plot of land in the history of the world. Why? Because this is the city of God. 
These are the people of God. We have been grafted in as people of God, and we are held in the grip of a God that is real and faithful. And I've just got to park it there for today. So happy Thursday. Think about this. That's why this psalm is in this book. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.